Hi folks, this is Ruth. And Dave. And welcome to So Many Books. So Little Time. Today we continue with Ella Montgomery's Anne of Green Gables uh, with Chapter 20, A Good Imagination Gone Wrong. Cue the music. So, Rue, I hear there is something you wish us to be made aware of. So, um, between the powers that be, such as Netflix and I don't know who else is involved in the production of, and with an E, the newest um, Anne of Green Gables media incarnation, which I really, really enjoyed. It's not, I've said this before, it's not strictly adhering to the book, but it's a really interesting and it's a well-crafted interpretation of Anne of Green Gables and Ellen Montgomery's world. And I'm guessing they've cancelled it? They have cancelled it. And they cancelled it in a way that was really... It took everyone by surprise and shock. And it's a bit frustrating because it is so well-crafted and um, it was extremely popular. It was getting good ratings. So it's it's triggered off a whole bunch of Twitter campaigns of Save Anne with an E and, <laughs> uh, and so on and so forth. Um, hopefully someone with the appropriate clout, yes, clout, financial backing, interest will continue to invest in it because it is great. It's fantastic. It's very, very challenging topics, but very important and per- like, so what they did like up. one season and it no, was going to come back and then they've done, they've done two se- seasons. I think they've just filmed their third season. Okay. Yeah. But They weren't told until I think they finished filming of the third season, which is not really fair on the writers. And were they, like, the seasons that have come out so far, did they cover, like, the first book or... No, it's not... I can't describe it without... It's because it's not the book. It's not like... It is... But it hits, like, points of the book? Yeah, it covers bits of the book. It covers... And it adds stories. And it. I think it's integrated stories from... I haven't analyzed it extensively, but other people will will have. Um, And I think it's taken stories that were around the time that it was set in. Okay. And integrated them somehow to be more reflective of what what was actually going on on Prince Edward Island and those regions okay but yes so what happened last uh chapter last chapter was the jumping upon mrs Barry. okay they got into a scrape yet again and got into a scrape now really now Anne got into a scrape and had had gone to her first concert des- ah, despite yes. marilla's misgivings <laughs> that was a fun chapter. Yes, and and because Matthew, and she made a friend. Yes, she made a friend in Mrs. Josephine, not Mrs. Miss Josephine Barry, the aunt of um, Diana's father. So her, her great aunt. You know what? Uh, that reminds me of actually. Just last night, I finished the We Free Men, which is a Discworld book. It's the first book of the Tiffany Aching series, which is was a series uh, Pratchett wrote for younger readers because Tiffany Aching's a young girl and she, oh, through her book, she learns to be one of the Discworld's new witches. Ooh. And the, the way Miss Barry, kind of this powerful matriarch that the family was tiptoeing around, 
And the way she talked as well and the way uh, Anne softened her reminded me of a little bit of Granny Weatherwax yeah. from the Discworld. Especially because the best part of We Free Men, because, okay, when I was growing up and reading the Discworld series, when I found out that there was a kind of a size series for younger readers, I ignored it. Mm. And I think maybe it was what we're doing now reading Anne that made me reevaluate, hey, maybe I should go back and read those books I skipped. Yeah, there's there's a whole thing. I'm going to say thing because words are not happening today. There's a whole movement and con- there's a whole conflict about is children's literature as good as proper literature? Does it young adult literature? Is it good enough? And you're going, you know what? If it's managing, this is a very simplified approach, if it manages to touch the human heart, convey the stories, do something that allows the individual to explore concepts that they, in, in a safer thing, maybe the, uh, the language used comparatively to say Chekhov is much more simplified, but they're not simple concepts. Well, and then there's the idea that, you know, a lot of people laud Ernest Hemingway because he used very simple language in his writing. But um, on that point, you know, it just triggered an old memory. Um, I was 22, 23, so I'm probably mostly at fault, you know, that is an insufferable age. But I remember getting into an internet argument with then a friend and I, they went cold with me afterwards. So that probably terminated the friendship. But they said in a post, they they uh, put forth their opinion that the Harry Potter books weren't, quote, real reading. And that set me off at the time. And yeah, nothing good came with it. Look, now, I, I'm still firmly uh, of the opinion that that is a wrong opinion. To have. <laughs> Look, I still have issues with Harry Potter books. Sorry. Harry Potter no, no, fans. no. But but no, it. The, I mean... Harry Potter aside, yeah, it's any, that idea yeah. that it's it's for younger readers, therefore it's not real not as reading. good. It's not real yeah. reading if it's for younger readers. Like you're going, if you think that way, how do you think people d- learn how to read? And, how and do you, you know, develop a love for reading? That's something I've been thinking about recently because, like, books I would love to recommend to younger readers. We have some friends that have some uh, young girls, and it would be great to. One of them is a reader, and it would be great to, you know, uh, share some of things I like with her. But then I have to remember, oh, you know, the books I still regard as um, favorable, they're probably too, you know, the concepts may be too adult for, you know, a seven or eight year old. So I, so there's that idea that, oh, no, no, I I need to maybe research more about what might be fun and appropriate for that age group. There's a lot of um, websites that, excuse me, are dedicated to identifying the themes that are in certain books so that when, mm. when you're wanting to expose a child to a film, a book or whatever, you can decide as a parent um, if those themes are something that you feel comfortable with their, or, the, or even if your child is comfortable with those topics because they might not be. But yes, the point, that's true. I think the main point is without children's literature or literature specifically designed for children and young people, how are you meant to encourage an interest and enthusiastic approach to reading? And what the point you may said earlier is that just because it may be aimed at a young person doesn't mean that the themes present in the book aren't still universal. Uh, yes. Yeah, there's a universality of these themes. It doesn't matter how old you are. 
it's the way that the topic's addressed, but it's still this universal theme of uh, loyalty or questioning the facets of friendship. As you get older, that might change slightly in how you view it and how it, its role looks like, but fun the foundation of it. When I was six years old, I read a series of books called Benicula about a vampire rabbit who sucked the juice and color out of vegetables. And now just thinking about it, because I was in my head as you were talking, I'm thinking, now what did Benicula teach me? Well, the second book in the series was called The Celery Stalks at Midnight, and it was about um, undead vegetables. So maybe Benicula is uh, responsible for my love of wordplay. Yes. It started me young. <laughs> and language, the whole point of reading, and, and to some extent, I mean, this is this is going deeply into the philosophy, but isn't part of the point of reading to encourage and foster a love for language and stories and communication? And if you don't do that from a young age onwards, in fact, I'd go, I'm going to say something very controversial. Dun, no dun, backlash. Dun. Hopefully there's no backlash, but we'll find out. I actually would postulate that children's literature is more important than what we like to consider to be highbrow literature, simply because it encourages and fosters and allows for those individuals who then embrace further progression of uh, literature and language and words and communication. If you don't start, if you don't lay a foundation, and a solid foundation, a foundation where you're not ridiculing and belittling the reader as a, like, it, just because they're young, yeah. just because the audience is young doesn't mean you need to like, simplify to the point where you almost don't discuss anything. Well, um, and also, you know, how you talked about, well, I talked about um, how the books I'd like to maybe share with younger people, they might not be, um, what's a good way of putting it? You know, you know they might not be ready for what's in those well, books well maybe maybe it's not they're not yeah they're not it's not suitable for that particular but, at that particular time yeah but um that reminds me so when i was 30 that's when i got my kindle and i decided because i got my kindle and all this you know yeah. the great literature was all very cheap on amazon yeah. i started reading the grapes and one of the books i read in that first year was moby dick and I bounced off that hard to this day that may be the worst time I've ever had reading a book. Mm. But in the years since, I've heard discussions about Moby Dick and I've even heard a lot of people go, oh yeah, I, I read that book for a second or a third time when I was in my 40s and 50s and suddenly it opened up to me. Yeah. And I think it's a very similar thing. You know, as we as we age, we learn, we grow and maybe... Maybe the themes of Moby Dick are only applicable to someone who's uh, had more, been more well seasoned by life. Well, maybe, and maybe it. I think if the point of a book or a story is to allow us to have a glimpse into a window from a perspective that we haven't experienced, it just changes it. So when you have experiences that allow you to connect with the materials, that's going to give you a different. It doesn't mean that you couldn't connect with the previously but it allows you to bridge a gap that that existed um and, and i mean i yeah. when i hit 40 i think i'm going to go back and try it again yeah um funny enough on the subject of you know things we resonating with us when we read when i read it i thought oh my dad would love this because he spent his youth sailing and one of the things about moby dick is it goes into extraordinary detail about how 
how they sail, uh, all the mechanics of it, how how they catch whales, how they carve them up on deck. It's like really, you know, it, it's a- all... It, apologies to pretty much anyone who, who, who does not condone whale hunting, but yes, for, for that particular moment. But yeah, yes, yeah, no, it's... Yeah, it was one of those things where like, I don't like any of these things they're doing, but my father, who spent a lot of his youth actually sailing around the world... He probably get a lot out of this just because it's the so re- reflective. The, yeah. yeah, well, also descriptive because remember this was written when we we didn't have television, and I'm not going to go into debate whether television has affected our ability to how it's changed our dynamics with books because there's no doubt it has. Film, media, television with the evolution of media comes a shift in our language. I mean, you see it in in even in books, depending on what was available. If there's more theater available, if plays were um, not outlawed, so to speak, because there, there were some areas where having staging a play was considered immoral. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think um, Jane Austen actually addresses that in one of her books. I'm trying to remember which one it was. Well, you know, it's a the, book with a funny name. Mans- know, Mansfield Park. Mansfield Park. The amount of um, books that are still banned in many schools. Yeah, yeah. So it, 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 all these things are it like the whole thing, but. On the note of things that books that are not banned right now, at least as far as I know, only um, from Netflix. Uh, see, see how I brought that back around. Don't, don't bring it back around. No, but we're bringing it back around so we can move on. I'm not going to move on. We're I'm moving dwelling. on to the book. Yes, no. The chapter twenty, no. No. chapter XX. No. For those of us that don't read Roman numerals, a good imagination gone wrong. No. <laughs> I tried. Today was today's been my day of just going no. Uh, but yes, it's we are continuing uh, and because it wouldn't be an episode without us mentioning the weather, it's horrible. <laughs> we got to stay on brand, folks. Yeah, it's on brand. We've hit we hit 38 degrees today apparently. <sighs> Don't remind me. And sorry, that's centigrade for, for all our, uh, was it Bermuda, North America, and what was the other country that uses Fahrenheit? Yeah, the Libya. One, the one other country? Lib- yeah, it's like, for the three countries that use Fahrenheit. It hot, yo. It's so hot. It's just ridiculous. And yes, and the particulates in the air are making everyone cranky. And yes, it's great. At least we're not in Sydney where it's almost post-apocalyptic. Yeah, that's not even because of the weather. No, it's definitely a hundred percent the weather, the smoke. It's bad. Okay, now a good imagination gone wrong. Spring had come once more to Green Gables. The beautiful, capricious, reluctant Canadian spring, lingering along through April and May, in a succession of sweet, fresh, chilly days with pink sunsets and miracles of resurrection and growth. The maples in Lover's Lane were red-budded, and little curly ferns pushed up around Dryad's bubble. Away up in the barrens, behind Mr. Silas Sloane's place, the mayflowers blossomed out, pink and white stars of sweetness under their brown leaves. All the schoolgirls and boys had one golden afternoon gathering them, coming home in the clear, echoing twilight with arms and baskets full of flowery spoil. I like her descriptive way. Mm. It's just nice. Soothing. I'm so sorry for people who live in lands where there are no mayflowers, said Anne. (laughs) Diana says perhaps they have something better, but there couldn't be anything better than mayflowers, could there, Marilla? 
And Diana says, if they don't know what they're like, then they won't miss them. But I think that's the saddest thing of all. I think it would be tragic, Marilla, not to know what Mayflowers are like and not to miss them. Do you know what I think Mayflowers are, Marilla? I think they must be the souls of the flowers that died last summer, and this is their heaven. But we had a splendid time today, Marilla. We had our lunch down in a big mossy hollow by an old well. Such a romantic spot. Charlie Sloane dared Artie Gillis to jump over it, and Artie did because he wouldn't take a dare. Nobody would in school. It is very fashionable to dare. Mr. Phillips gave all the Mayflowers he found to Prissy Andrews, <laughs> and I heard him say, Sweet to the sweet. Ugh. Ugh. He got that out. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just... The under underlying... Mm -hmm. I'm going to add a warning. Today is today's episode, I think. Ugh. Just every time they mention that, the, the interaction between those two, that it makes the skin is, crawl a little. I, yeah, so I'm going to go through, I think, and retroactively, anytime there's this mention of the school or anything, going to maybe add that. Little warning. <sighs> he got that out of a book, I know, but it shows he has some imagination. I was offered some Mayflowers too, but I rejected them with scorn. <laughs> I can't tell you the person's name because I have vowed never to let it cross my lips. <laughs> laugh at her, oh. her misery uh, well not misery her 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 stubborn determination to not allow injustice to um go unpunished although in this case the person who so stepping aside is an unreasonable for her frustrate her her treatment of of uh, gilbert Blythe. a treatise <laughs> no, like, well you know yes and no you know <laughs> I'm going to say no because the emotions and the heat of those emotions are from an 11-year-old girl. Yeah. Well, not only age. I'm going to go, she was genuinely hurt and she was not really impressed by the... Well, full stop. Gilbert was essentially the whole boys being boys thing. Hmm. He was being the epitome of it. Yep. It helps that he acknowledged that he stuffed up yeah. pretty quickly. And he's been just trying to get Anne to uh, acknowledge him ever since, but the thing which is, is feeding in. But to she that. doesn't owe him no, acceptance. Of not. No, but that's the whole point. And I think it's. I like the fact that the author, though she she, you can tell that there's kind of a humor about it, but she doesn't deny Anne's right to not accept. Yep. The apology. And because Anne is just so melodramatic and everything, it comes out in ways like this, which make us laugh. Yes, which which is just funny because we're like, yes, well, you don't have to say his name. We know exactly who it is. Yeah. That's the part that's funny to me. The fact that she is she was extremely uh, how do you put it? She was traumatized. I said, well, not traumatized. Humiliated. She was she was, she was humiliated, and it re re. Reignited uh, re trauma from previous other situations. Yes, mm -hmm. that's. I think that would be the fair, fair play. And I mean, he did behave in a way that was inappropriate, inappropriate and evocative. He, you don't know a person. You don't pull on their hair and say carrots. <laughs> well, I, I mean, he's a boy as well, so we got to enter that mindset. But it seems so stupid. Well, it's not that. He would have thought he was teasing and just being, and he didn't like, well, you know what? It all built up. It started with the fact that he wanted her attention and she didn't give it to him. Mm. 
and it built up so again this boys being boys just like attitude is not i like the fact that the author doesn't reward it and we're talking turn of the century mm-hmm. and even even you know that we discussed it when it happened but that small little were when uh mr andrews is andrews Mr. Phillips, Phillips sorry. Yes, uh, when Mr. Phillips is admonishing Anne, Gilbert speaks up and go, "It was my fault," and he's like, "Hush." Yeah, yeah. It's it's like, no, no. Why would you be encouraged to have personal responsibility? We don't reward that here. Uh, anyway, but yes, it's like backbend thing. We made wreaths of the Mayflowers and put them on our hats. And when the time came to go home, we marched in procession down the road, two by two, with our bouquets and wreaths, singing, "My home on the hill." Oh, it was so thrilling, Marilla. All Mr. Silas Sloane's folks rushed out to see us, and everybody we met on the road stopped and stared after us. We made a real sensation. Not much wonder. Such silly doings, was Marilla's response. (laughs) After the Mayflowers came the violets, and Violet Vale was empurpled with them. Oh, my God, empurpled. What a word. That is a great word. Anne walked through it on her way to school with reverent steps and worshipping eyes, as if she trod on holy ground. Somehow, she told Diana, when I'm going through here, I don't really care whether whether anybody gets ahead of me in class or not. But when I'm at school, it's all different, and I care as much as ever. There's such a lot of different Anne's in me. I sometimes think that is why I'm such a troublesome person. If I was just the one, Anne, it would be ever so much more comfortable. But then it wouldn't be half so interesting. Oh, wow. It's a great, that's a great uh, thing. Sentiment? The statement, sentence, concept. And that she recognizes it. Mm. Her self-awareness has definitely been improving. I mean, it's probably a little different because as we've postulated, she probably does have uh, cognitive executive function issue but just the yes. idea that every single one of us kind of has different versions of ourselves we present in different situations well, that, well it's really it emphasizes the fact that a human being is inextricably in, integrated with it with their environment mm-hmm. your social settings uh, big aside uh, i was discussing this with someone um yesterday actually that this is going to be talking about psychiatric um, crisis. No psychiatric crisis occurs without some sort of factor contributing to it. Whether it is challenges with medications, whether it is an, an undiagnosed or untreated mental disorder, or either way, but there's always the social settings that also contribute to it. There's mm-hmm. no no way that a social setting or environmental setting is not somehow contributing. Yeah. As to whether that environmental thing is, is other people or if it's circumstances, if it's socioeconomic instability, if it's the news, who knows what. Like it, it's, There's mm-hmm. always, um, it's where the external and the internal kind of meet and it it's... The, the the structures are are failing that person as to whether it's an internal uh just it's the way the brain is programmed that's the way it is or biochemical or and that's includes biochemistry or whether it's literally environment exacerbating but even in the biochemistry example i'm i mean i'm remembering something someone told me years ago and i can't remember who told me but it was the idea that it's impossible to be like walking down the street 
and to suddenly start laughing out loud for no reason whatsoever. The idea that the, impossible. How is it impossible? The the idea that there always has to be some uh, stimulus, even if it's a thought, if it's something you see. Well, no, you can choose to. Like you could actively make a choice. I'm going to stand in the middle of the street and laugh. And at a that. choice is still. But it's still an action. There's. But a I, still I mean, without anything leading to that i think what uh, i mean the thing that we were discussing yesterday w was the concept not not us here but um i was discussing with someone yesterday was the idea that everything has cause yes um it doesn't necessarily have meaning or purpose but there's always cause meaning meaning implies that there's a Oh, there's a re like there's there's a grand scheme, esoteric, philosophical, whatever reason. You know, you know that um, this is kind of tooting my own horn, but this is a, a a comic strip I wrote back when I was drawing a web comic. But it was, you know, character has a bad day at work. She's on the verge of tears, and her mother, trying to console her, says, "Don't worry, Bridget. Everything happens for a reason." And her smartest brother, sitting there, goes, "And usually that reason are the." Uh, the occurrences and consequences that led to <laughs> yeah yeah cause effect that there's always going to be a and man i've screwed up my own joke but it's okay it's okay but yeah that's the thing that's that's the thing but well here actually giving an example mr silas Stone's folks all rushed out and everyone on the road stopped and stared after us we made a real sensation yes people stopped and stared at you because they haven't seen this kind of behavior before and even, you know, Merlo's been softening, but her response to that was such silly doings. Yeah, well, yes, <laughs> not, no such wonder. Because, like, yeah, you you singing while walking down the street. Well, I think it was more that they're running around with flowers and singing songs. and it's Making unusual. a spectacle of yourself. Pretty much, pretty much. But yeah, the, that environment, that when she's in a space, that environment of Violet Vale, where she really is having a reverential connection with nature, that she doesn't... She almost doesn't care about those things that are driving her at school. Mm -hmm. Her passion to be better in, in that context. I'm sure there's other things that would drive her, but she's not worried so much about that external fight that she has, so to speak, mm. that grudge. But yes. Yeah. Anyway, but yes. One June evening, when the orchard were pink blossomed again, when the frogs were singing silverly sweet in the marches about the head of the lake of shining waters, and the air was full of the savour of clover fields and balsamic fir woods, Anne was sitting by her gable window. She had been studying her lessons, but it had grown too dark to see the book, so she had fallen into wide-eyed reverie, looking out past the boughs of the Snow Queen, once more bestarred with its tufts of blossom. In all essential respects, the little gable chamber was unchanged. The walls were as white, the pincushion as hard, the chairs as stiffly and yellowly upright as ever. Yet the whole character of the room was altered. It was full of a new vital, pulsing personality that seemed to pervade it, and to be quite independent of schoolgirl books and dresses and ribbons, and even of the cracked blue jug full of apple blossoms on the table. It was as if all the dreams, sleeping and waking, of its vivid occupant had taken a visible, although unmaterial, form, 
and had tapestried the bare room with splendid filmy tissues of rainbow and moonshine. Presently, Marilla came briskly in with some of Anne's freshly ironed school aprons. She hung them over a chair and sat down with a short sigh. She had had one of her headaches that afternoon, and although the pain had gone, she felt weak and tuckered out, as she expressed it. So that sounds like a migraine. Mm. That's not a headache. That's a, that's a migraine. Yeah. Anne looked at her with eyes limpid with sympathy. I do truly wish I could have had that headache in your place, Marilla. I would have endured it joyfully for your sake. That's a very... I guess you did your part in attending to the work and letting me rest, said Marilla. You seem to have got on fairly well and made fewer mistakes than usual. Of course, it wasn't exactly necessary to starch Matthew's handkerchiefs. (laughs) 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 Of course, it wasn't exactly necessary to starch Matthew's handkerchiefs. And most people, when they put the pie in the oven to warm up for dinner, take it out and eat it when it gets hot, instead of leaving it to be burnt to a crisp. But that doesn't mean to... Let's try that again. And most people, when they put a pie in the oven to warm up for dinner, take it out and eat it when it gets hot instead of leaving it to be burnt to a crisp. But that doesn't seem to be your way, evidently. (laughs) Headaches always left Marilla somewhat sarcastic. (laughs) 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 Poor thing. Oh, I'm so sorry, said Anne penitently. I never thought about that pie from the moment I put it in the oven till now. I thought I felt instinctively that there was something missing on the dinner table. I was firmly resolved when you left me in charge this morning not to imagine anything, but keep my thoughts on facts. I did pretty well until I put the pie in, and then an irresistible temptation came to me to imagine I was an enchanted princess, shut up in a lonely tower with a handsome knight, riding to my rescue on a coal-black steed. So that is how I came to forget the pie. I didn't know I starched the handkerchiefs. At the time I was ironing, I was trying to think of a name for a new island Diana and I have discovered up the brook. It is the most ravishing spot, Marilla. There are two maple trees on it, and the brook flows right around it. At last it struck me that it would be splendid to call it Victoria Island, because we found it on the Queen's birthday. Both Diana and I are very loyal. But I'm sorry about that pie and the handkerchiefs. I wanted to be extra good today because it is an anniversary. Do you remember what happened this day last year, Marilla? No, I can't think of anything special. Oh, Marilla, it was the day I came to Green Gables. I shall never forget it. It was the turning point in my life. Of course it wouldn't seem so important to you. I've been here for a year, and I've been so happy. Of course I've had my troubles, but one can live down troubles. Are you sorry you kept me, Marilla? No, I can't say I'm sorry, said Marilla, who sometimes wondered how she could have lived before Anne came to Green Gables. No, not exactly sorry. If you've finished your lessons, Anne, I want you to run over and ask Mrs. Barry if she'll lend me Diana's apron pattern. Oh, it's... it's too dark, cried Anne. Too dark? Why, it's only twilight. And goodness knows you've gone over often enough after dark. I'll go over early in the morning, said Anne eagerly. I'll get up at sunrise and go over, Marilla. What has got into your head now, Anne Shirley? I want that pattern to cut out your new apron this evening. Go at once and be smart too. I'll have to go around by the road then, said Anne, taking up her hat reluctantly. Go by the road and waste half an hour? I'd like to catch you. 
I can't go through the haunted woods, Marilla, said Anne desperately. (laughs) Marilla stared. The haunted wood? Are you crazy? What under the canopy is the haunted wood? The spruce wood over the brook, said Anne in a whisper. Fiddlesticks. There's no such thing as a haunted wood anywhere. Who's been telling you such stuff? Nobody, confessed Anne. Diana and I just imagined the wood was haunted. All the places around here are just so, so commonplace. We just got this up for our own amusement. We began it in April. A haunted wood is so very romantic, Marilla. We chose the spruce grove because it is so gloomy. Oh, we have imagined the most harrowing things. There's a white lady walks along the brook just about this time of the night and wrings her hands and utters wailing cries. She appears when there is to be a death in the family. And the ghost of a little murdered child haunts the corner up by Idlewild. It creeps up behind you and lays its cold fingers on your hand. So... Oh, Marilla, it gives me a shudder to think of it. And there's a headless man stalks up and down a path, and skeletons glower at you between the boughs. Oh, Marilla, I wouldn't go through the haunted wood after dark now for anything. I'd be sure that white things would reach out from behind the trees and grab me. Did anybody hear the like? ejaculated Marilla, who had listened in dumb amazement. Anne Shirley, do you mean to tell me you believe all that wicked nonsense of your own imagination? Not believe exactly, faltered Anne. At least, I don't believe it in the daylight. But after dark, Marilla, it's different. That is when ghosts walk. (laughs) There's no such thing as ghosts, Anne. Oh, but there are, Marilla, cried Anne eagerly. I know people who've seen them, and they are respectable people. Charlie Sloane says that his grandmother saw his grandfather driving home the cows one night after he'd been buried for a year. You know Charlie Sloane's grandmother wouldn't tell the story for anything. She's a very religious woman. And Mrs. Thomas's father was pursued home one night by a lamb of fire with its head cut off, hanging by a strip of skin. He said he knew it was the spirit of his brother, and that it was a warning he would die within nine days. He didn't. But he did die two years after. So you see, it was really true. And Ruby Gillis says, Anne Shirley, interrupted Marilla firmly. I never want to hear you talking in this fashion again. I've had my doubts about that imagination of yours right along. And if this is going to be the outcome of it, I won't countenance any such doings. You'll go right over to Barry's and you'll go through that spruce grove just for a lesson and a warning to you. And never let me hear a word out of your head about haunted woods again. Anne might plead and cry as she liked, and did, for her terror was very real. Her imagination had run away with her, and she held the spruce grove in mortal dread after nightfall. But Marilla was inexorable. She marched the shrinking ghost seer down to the spring and ordered her to proceed straight away over the bridge and into the dusky retreats of wailing ladies and headless specters beyond. Oh, Marilla, how can you be so cruel? (laughs) sobbed Anne. What would you feel like if a white thing did snatch me up and carry me off? I'll risk it, said Marilla. (laughs) (laughs) This is horrible. This is so cruel, but it's funny. Mm -hmm. You know, I always mean what I say. I'll cure you of imagining ghosts into places. Now march. Anne marched. That is, she stumbled over the bridge and went shuddering up the horrible dim path beyond. Anne never forgot that walk. Bitterly did she repent the license she had given to her imagination. The goblins of her fancy lurked in every shadow about her, reaching out their cold, fleshless hands to grasp the terrified small girl who had called them into being. 
A white strip of birch bark glowing up from the hollow over the brown floor of the grove made her heart stand still. The long-drawn wail of two old boughs rubbing against each other brought out the perspiration in beads on her forehead. The swoop of bats in the darkness over her was as the wings of unearthly creatures. When she reached Mr. William Bell's field, she fled across it as if pursued by an army of white things and arrived at the Barry kitchen door so out of breath that she could hardly gasp out her request for the apron pattern. Diana was away, so she had no excuse to linger. The dreadful return journey had to be faced. Anne went back over it with shut eyes, preferring to take the risk of dashing her brains out among the boughs to that of seeing a white thing. When she finally stumbled over the log bridge, she drew one long, shivering breath of relief. "'Well, so nothing caught you,' said Marilla unsympathetically. "'Oh, Mar Marilla,' chattered Anne, "'I'll be contented with c c commonplace places after this.'" Oh. So that's why it's like, it's not exciting enough. So I'm going to just use my imagination to think of dreary things. And, you know, I, I have negative memories of being terrified about woods at night and then um, an older boy making those fears even worse. Yeah. Well, both of us grew up next to forests, didn't we? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, you're actually here too. When I was little, when I was little, we, grew, we lived next to the bush. But um, and then when I was all uh, yeah a littler, littler older I don't know different ages different different forests different ages <laughs> different forests different ages although in Australia I never had the fear of I don't know the eerie or the weary or the strange I always felt the only thing that I was a bit nervous around were our um, eight-legged friends yeah well I I think a very similar thing because I think well okay so I was nine to eleven when I came here mm. but. Looking back, this is probably not the case when I was that age, but looking back, the rationalization I have is that, well, there's no need to make up uh, scary things about Australia. The actual flora and fauna that live here are terrifying enough. Exactly. You're like, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. And because I, I lived in the colder climate, moving to Australia was the first time I ever saw cockroaches and big cockroaches. Yeah, that, that's, a whole, that's a whole thing. Um, but yeah, we, we, uh, in Germany, it was a thing. It was, yeah, you'd see things flashing between the trees and, and, and it was often birds or it'd be... Um, we heard coyotes, deer. you know. We didn't have coyotes. We had foxes, lots of foxes and, and weasels and similar. They, they have now introduced uh, wolves again into, not where we were, but a little bit further south. They have wolves again. I thought you were about to say not werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but boar as well. So I visited a friend of mine in Germany um, who's essentially a sibling. Um, and we, I was, we were staying, I was staying with them near Berlin. And so apparently they have lost a few vehicles to boars. Oh. Because they come out of nowhere. <laughs> they're very dense creatures. Japan has similar challenges. Well, it's, it's for our um, listeners who have never visited Australia or don't know much about Australia. Uh, if you hit a kangaroo with your car, which is a, can be a very common occurrence uh, if you're not watching uh, the roads. Well, uh, and they even do, if you're watching the yeah, roads. Yeah, they can dart out in front of you. Uh, but if you hit a kangaroo with your car, nine times out of ten, the kangaroo will win. 
Yes, and often the kangaroo's fine and pops off. Um, other times, not so but fine, same but thing. the car De- still gets smacked. A dense animal. And I imagine him in um, boar would be like... So, so wombats, if you hit them from the rear, apparently have caused road trains, which are large, very large trucks, to stop. It wrecks the trucks. Really? Yeah. Because I've heard like that's their main defense against predators. They go in their hovel and then their butt is like... They, no one can get in because it's just so hard. The bone. It is an incredibly dense bottom. There. <laughs> Australia. <laughs> I was actually about to say something that I won't say. They're, they're a bit of a hard. Hard ass. Yes, that's the word I was going to go with. Um, they're interesting, but yeah. So boar are similar, where they're very dense, right. very, very, and they can be quite aggressive. So mm. I, I mean. Um, Especially imagine if you had like a little Suzuki Swift, that would have no, <laughs> no, no chance, no chance. Um, but you look at you look at these things, and yeah, I, as as to whether we agree with Marilla's approach to addressing Anne's uh, imagination getting away with her, I, I like the fact that the reasoning for them was oh, it, it's too common here. Let's think of something more romantic and different, and uh, dude. No, no, no. But what about my favorite part of that all was her her stories about the the real people, well, the people who have seen real ghosts, and there was that that headless lamb of fire. Yes, what? <laughs> and it's like it's supposed to kill you two days after, but he died two years after. So you see, it happened. He, no, he's like you're gonna <laughs> die in nine days, but he didn't. But he died in, nine, in two years after, so therefore it must be real. <laughs> Going, no, no. <laughs> Uh, Actually, she did, she was a great example of the the mindset behind conspiracy theories. Hmm. I think that might have been also part of the purpose of. Um, well, it's a, it's a letting your imagination get away from you. Yes, and, but and, to the and, point where it becomes real. And uh, yeah, Marilla's going. You don't honestly believe this? It's like, well, no, I don't exactly believe it, but I've convinced myself so much that I'm actually scared. So much so that yeah, as she walked through, as they said, the book said, the terror was real. Yeah, so it doesn't, and it, I like the fact that it doesn't mock her terror. It's like, no, no, she's actually terrified. She's got perspiration as soon as she sees of what a bat moving overhead. She's got. She's not well. And on, then on the way back, she closes her eyes and she's like, I, I'm going to run into a tree, but that's better than... Yes, it's like, I'll, I'm fine with that. Um, but actually, that's me when I'm around anything that has to do with eight legs, potentially. I'm like, nope, nope, if I don't see it, it's not real. Octopus? Um, yes, octopus. I'm okay with octopus. It's other eight-legged creatures I do not I do not abide. I'm trying to think of another, I understand another the, one. I'm, no. I'm sure there are other eight-legged nope. creatures. Do crabs technically? No, let's not let's not let's not dig that one too much. It's a very common phobia that people have. Oh yeah, no, no. I'm I'm thinking of other funny things that it could be instead of the very obvious one that everybody Squid. knows. Well, crabs are cephalopods, right? No, the no, no, no. Squids are cephalopods. Octopus are okay. cephalopods. So cephalopods generally, most of them have. I don't, I can't look it up. I can't actually look this up because I will see the other creature oh. that I cannot handle. An injured centipede. <laughs> A mutant fly. The, the look Rue gave me after I said that. <laughs> None of your nonsense. <laughs> How many legs would it have to be missing? That's not nice. Actually, that was a joke I saw today. What's What's worse than a giraffe with um, a sore neck? A centipede with sore feet. Oh. Yes. Or Or imagine like um, if centipedes, you know, 
I imagine they have pads like many creatures, but imagine if they're like um, on concrete during the summer. They're, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> I just realized that I know that there's a there's a joke somewhere out there about a centipede with a peg leg, with a single peg leg. I'm, I, I guarantee yeah, yeah. you. It's like skitter, 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 clump. Skitter, yeah. skitter, skitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got to be, sorry, we've gone completely off into the woods here. <laughs> reference. Uh, reference. Um, but yeah, that I think that's the idea. Is like you can. I, I don't. I don't know if I agree with Marilla's approach, but given Anne tends to learn from, re, like, um, experience. She's very experiential. Mm. She's the person that that she had to have jumped on Mrs. Josephine in order to learn the lesson of maybe look before you leap. Um, and she's brave enough to, you know, not completely shut down when Marilla told her to go. Because some kids would just I mean, she, she, she really, really didn't want to mm. go. And she was really upset and she was pleading and begging. But the thing is, she recognizes that Mar- Marilla has a point And that's, that's and, that. And also, she just... You know, finished talking about how it's the one-year anniversary of when you let me stay. And I love the fact that you had that aside from from the author giving us insight into Marilla kind of going, no, no, she really couldn't imagine life before mm. Anne, which is probably why she didn't remember the anniversary, because for her, it feels like she's been there the whole time now. The Anne anniversary. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> the Anne anniversary. <laughs> On that note... <laughs> You know, you know, despite the weather, I've really enjoyed this episode specifically. And I I, I hope you listeners have, too. I I think we talked about some interesting things and there was a lot of joking around. Yeah, it's been a bit bit of a all over the place episode, but it's fun regardless. Um, I had a lot of fun with this one. It's just just a really funny. Oh, but but, you know, we we should keep um, our ritual going. So why don't you let the listeners know what the next chapter is called for yes. next episode? Yes, what is our next chapter? The next chapter is A New Departure in Flavorings. And I'm raising an eyebrow. I don't know. Oh, yes. 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 Okay, it's coming back to Rue. Yes. As she has read this book before. I have read this book before, and I just re- read the first paragraph, and I, it all makes sense. Ah, uh-huh. yes. The, yes. This, this is when Anne joins a street gang. Yes. <laughs> and they called the sharks. Um, anyway, so we have an interesting chapter coming up. Cool, um, cool. I'll... I mean, I, I've never not had an interesting chapter of Anne. Anne is always interesting to me. Mm, and I've said many times, and I will <laughs> probably say many more, that I am enjoying myself so much with this book. What scrapes will Anne get into and out of mm. the next episode of <laughs> Anne of Green Gable? Anne with an E. Anne with a Gable style. <laughs> <laughs> the Haunted Wood <laughs> Part 2. Now it's going to be a movie that's stuck in my head. The Haunted Wood? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so. Imagine if note. Anne had been around in the 90s and seen the Blair Witch. I think her brain would have come up with the blare. Okay, so. <laughs> right, so the music at the top of the podcast, as always, was Avonlea by Hagrid Hardy. At the bottom of the podcast, it's I'm the Slime by Frank Zappa. By the way, I no longer say the the uh, music at the top of the podcast because of the fact that I stumble over that name so many times that Dave has to edit for about half an hour extra just to get that bit. Now, she's exaggerating, but not by much. <laughs> 
It's just the name. It's the name. Hey, good, Hardy. Is that even right? I... Yeah, yeah, it was. Oh, wow. Well done. I struggle with that one. I don't know why. Um, on Twitter, you can find me at Dave underscore the underscore turnip. And you can find me at Rue McMoo. Or you can find our podcast at... SMBSLT Podcast. And if you'd like to email us, it's smbsltpodcast at gmail.com. Oh, we did some editing and uploading before we recorded this podcast on Wushka, which hosts our podcast. And we noticed that you can actually leave reviews on Wushka. Well, it's you can leave reviews on Apple. Oh, and then it goes over to Wushka? Ah. What, yes. what I'm getting at is if you would like to review our podcast on any platform you listen to it, Please we would do. be most appreciative. And thank you very much for the reviews that have come in. We've had some reviews on 1984, um, the 1984 podcast, and we've had some insight. We've got someone who's actually read or has bought the book of Anne of Green Gables for the yeah, first time. Yeah, a friend of mine who lives in Denmark oh, uh, decided that because... Uh, he doesn't do well with audiobooks, but he, he wants to listen to us. So he's like, well, I got to read the book first then. Or I got to read the chapter before I listen to them yeah. go through the chapter. Yeah. So that's. Which actually, you know, if, if you were going to read, quote, read along with us, I think that would be ideal is to read the chapter before we read a chapter. Because, you know, we, we, we take pauses, we go off on tangents. Yeah, we're if, a little If this. If listening to the episode was your first time going through the book, it would probably be a, a bit of whiplash. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Yes. 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 But you were going to say something about uh, reviews? and Yeah. Um, if you'd like to give send reviews in, we'll... Feedback of any sort, really. Feedback of any sort. If you're enjoying the books, if the format does give you whiplash and is... is I mean, we're not going to change format <laughs> we're stuck in our way no but like even if you have suggestions as to like hey maybe you could try this out for one episode yeah, we'll, we'll do that it would be pretty hypocritical if our um if our podcast which has a criticism slant to it could not take criticism well we're not super critical we, we are critical of concepts and theories and approaches but we're not super. that's criticism i guess that is criticism Fair, fair. I'm not the critic. I'm I'm an analyst by nature. I like I like reading the facts and then reacting to the facts if I have emotional energy. But yes, way too much information about Rue. Now, uh, <laughs> on that point. Okay. Well, yes. Oh, again, thank you so much for listening. I had I personally had a blast today. I hope you did as well, Rue. Yes, it was fun. Um, it made us forget the sweltering heat, if not for about an hour. Although we are a little short this week, but it's all it's all good. Uh, see you next time, folks. Adios. Thank you.